Hello everyone, welcome to Crossroads where faith and culture meet. I'm Rita Peters and Mark is traveling this week, but I have the honor of being joined by my friend and mentor, Michael Ferris. Now, Mike has been with us before on Crossroads and hopefully will be with us many times again in the future. But for those of you who aren't familiar with Mike, I want to just hit some of the high points of his background. Mike was the founding president of both the Homeschool Legal Defense Association and Patrick Henry College. He has served as lead counsel in the United States Supreme Court, eight federal circuit courts, and the appellate courts of 13 states. Mike is largely known for his work in constitutional appellate litigation, religious freedom, and homeschool advocacy. He is a co-founder of the Convention of States Movement, where Mark Meckler and I work. After founding COS, he took a hiatus and went to work defending religious freedom, human life, and the family as president, CEO, and general counsel of Alliance Defending Freedom. I know many of you are familiar with that organization. Then following five years of work with ADF, Mike has returned to Convention of States to help push the Article 5 solution over the finish line. And I have to add that Mike and his wife, Vicki, have 10 children, many grandchildren, and just recently, a great-grandchild. Now, Mike, I know looking at you, no one's going to believe that. <laughs> well, yeah, I, 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 I was being called a pretty good grandfather for 24 years, and now they say, no, you're not pretty good. You're great. So, <laughs> Love it. Love well, it. Mike, welcome back to Crossroads. Thank you very much. Now... Mike, do you want to share with our audience your reaction when I asked you if you would be my guest on a program to talk about social justice? <laughs> well, I said sure, but I'm not an expert on social justice. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've read some books. I know a bit about it. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm generally acquainted, but, uh, you know, um, I, I like being talk, talking about things I'm truly an expert on. And this is one I'm, you know, I'm I know a fair amount about it, but uh, so here I am, Rita. I'm at your beck and call. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, it, it's no exaggeration to say, Mike, that you have been on the front lines of the culture wars, uh, so-called, for yeah, a very yeah. long time. And I don't consider myself an expert on this topic either, but I'm learning more about it through this book that Mark and I have been covering in a series of episodes that we're doing for Crossroads on this topic of social justice. And we're basing it off a great new book that I encourage our audience to pick up. You can get it on Amazon. It's called Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth, 12 Questions Christians Should Ask About Social Justice. Now, the book is written by Thaddeus J. Williams. And Mike, I want to say you aren't alone in having a squeamish reaction a little bit to the term of social justice. In this book, the author has divided it into social justice A, which is what conforms to the biblical definition of justice. And then he talks about this idea of social justice B, which does not conform to the biblical definition of justice. So does that help a little bit? 
Well, sure. I mean, I, the the whole idea of um, social justice at its core, the way the progressive movement uses it, uh, is uh, is you know, a, a derivative of socialism, and uh, you know, it's moral socialism, it's economic socialism, it's political socialism, and and so the um, they want to a redistribution of power. They believe that there are oppressors and the oppressed, and uh, that uh, uh, we should um, be transferring power from the oppressors who are identified by their skin color, by their religion, by um, their education and other factors, and, and replace that with uh, giving the oppressed the power so that they can lord it over the people. So that kind of di dialectic, divisive kind of thinking is at the heart of Marxism, is at the heart of socialism, is at the heart of much of what's wrong uh, with the world at, at large and has been wrong with the world at large for decades now. Yeah, well said. And it's a great segue, too, because in the portion of the book we're covering today, we dive into the whole concept of tribalism, which you've kind of just pointed at. It's dividing people up according to their group identities. And Williams talks about how destructive this tendency is. Do you see tribalism as a problem in America today, Mike? And, and has it gotten worse in your lifetime? Well, it's definitely gotten worse because um, the it used to be it's okay, it was okay to be different. I mean, you know, uh, we have Republicans, we have Democrats, we have Protestants, we have Catholics, and we have Jews, and we have others, and we have um, Yankees fans, and we have sensible people, um, and um, and and so the you know there's a lot of different groups and, and identities. I, I was born in Arkansas. I identify with you know with Arkansas. I lived uh, about 30 years in Washington State. I identify with Washington State. I identify with the Seattle Seahawks. But those identifications don't make me hate anybody. Uh, and it's the, the, the difference between uh, affinities and you know, groups that we participate in and you know, our, our, our identity in Christ being first and foremost for, for all those of us that follow Jesus, um, it, it not only does it not mean that we hate people, it means we're to love everybody, even those that despitefully use us and hate us. Uh, and so the uh, it's the tribalism, the, the groups plus hate. Hmm. That's that's what's wrong. And and I see it mostly on the left, but I do see it on the right as well. Mm -hmm. um, and and so it's not helpful. It's not Christ-like. It's um, not civil. And it's not going to help our country uh, yeah. be haters. Yeah. Now, Williams points out that God created us. He created human beings with this built-in need for community. Mm -hmm. After creating man, God said it was not good for man to be alone. So is it understandable that we want to find a particular group where we belong Oh, absolutely. I mean, it starts with your family. I mean, the, the family is God's basic unit of society. And, and you know, of course, that's extremely important. And, um, you know, with family my size, it's, you know, it's a huge part of our identity. Uh, 
um, just huge numbers, period. You know, we had a small sampling of Christmas at Christmas of just 42 of us. Uh, and, uh, um, but, you know, and I identify with homeschool groups. I identify with my church. Um, I, but, um, again, that doesn't lead us to hate other people. At least it shouldn't lead us to hate other people. And, and, uh, uh, and the reason, the core reason we shouldn't hate other people, A, is it's God's command to us to love other people. But B, why should we love them? Is because they're created in the image of God as well. And so why should we hate those that God's created? Now, that doesn't mean we love what they do. It doesn't mean that we agree with what they believe. You know, there's lots of ways to disagree with people and to differ with people and not approve of their actions. But hating them as individuals is just not an option that Christians should have. Yeah. Yeah. I you said it well when you said it's not it's not belonging to different groups that is wrong. It's it's belonging to a group plus hating other groups that is a problem. And William says that, you know, what what we do today, and you hinted at this already as well, we divide people into the oppressed and the oppressors or certain parts of our society want to divide people into those groups. And we've seen that even formalized in CRT, critical race theory, that, you know, some of the education, you know, lobbyists and people in education want to teach that to children. And we've seen this done in various countries and cultures around the world for you know, I don't know, t- throughout history, we can see that it, dividing people into the oppressed and the oppressors, the good guys and the bad guys. And Mike, what have we learned? You know, what what does history show that does to a society when that happens? Well, Abraham Lincoln said it best, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Um, when I was a kid, uh, back when uh, Thomas Jefferson was president or something close to that, um, the... Um, the, the differences in our country were principally the, the, what's the right way to reach our goals. We had, we had a general agreement on the, on the goals of society, the goals of our country. We wanted to be a free country. We didn't want to be communist. We wanted you know, the communist threat to you know, not take our country, and, not, and we generally didn't want it to take other people as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a belief in the Constitution. We may not have understood it well, but when we did understand it, we supported it. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of things we agreed about. The method of getting there didn't agree as much, um, principally on what's the role of government in getting there f- f- versus what's the role of private people, private enterprise, and freedom in getting there. And so those are legitimate debates between people. But now we don't agree what the goals are. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it's, it's much worse than it was. And um, not only do we... Uh, not agree about the goals, there's been injected this, you know, this element of wanting to destroy those who oppose you. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the, the cancel culture. I mean, I've, I've experienced it firsthand. Uh, I, I led ADF for almost six years. And um, the, you know, the, uh, the big companies, um, Microsoft denies ADF. Um, nonprofit price pricing because they don't like our views. Um, uh, Salesforce has canceled ADF's contract because wow. of our views. Uh, 
uh, an insurance company canceled us. They, they eventually gave it back, but they canceled us because of our views. And so they're trying to deplatform, debank us. Uh, de, you know, um, and and it's not just ADF. Uh, Family Research Council has had this. Um, uh, um, Samaritan's Purse has had these problems. Other, uh, not you know, not exactly the same iterations, but problems with cancellations. And and then this, you know, if you can do this to the to the big groups, you know that that are in the you know millions and millions of dollars of revenue, you know the big groups. Think what they're doing to the small groups. They're 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 uh, coming after. They want to deep platform. They want to silence us. It's um, you know the Southern, Southern Poverty Law Center is a really you know pushes this in a big way cancel people, hate people, demonize people. It's okay to disagree, but it's not with them. It's not okay. Yeah. Um, and so um, th these things are um, creating an atmosphere of incivility and uh, promoting a warlike culture uh, in, in our country that is uh, not appropriate. Yeah. Now, Williams talks about the biblical solution to the human need to belong, but also to, to really how to deal with this fact that, you know, there are oppressors and there are oppressed in, in society. And the biblical answer really is we all belong to the same group. If we accept the Bible's conclusion that we have all sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. It really excludes self-righteousness because we are all in desperate need of grace and forgiveness. Mike, what do you think about, you know, Williams in the book offering, I know you haven't necessarily read the book, but just the idea of that as really the solution um, to this tendency to divide ourselves into the oppressed and the oppressor, or in other ways, into groups that you know hate or went to war against other groups in society. Well, um, I, I think his approach sounds exactly right, hmm. um, and and that uh, uh, it's a, a cousin of what I've been saying for a long time is that uh, I, I hope that uh, no Christian, and for that matter, no conservative believes in tolerance. Now, there's two reasons I say this. It sounds shocking at first, perhaps. Um, tolerance is a cheap imitation of what we should be doing. Yeah. Um, tolerance means I don't really like you, but I'm going to put up with you. That's not the right approach. Uh, if we're talking about human relations, Jesus tells us we love those that are opposed to us. Right. Um, and, and so um, the... Um, and, and from a political perspective, tolerance, the Toleration Acts of William and Mary in the 1600s, meant you could differ with the Church of England in five particular ways. That's it. If you did, as long as you didn't differ too much, we, they put up with you. You still had to pay your taxes to the Church of England. You still had to get married in the Church of England. Uh, any other marriage didn't count. And, and so, you know, but that was tolerance. America rejected that in the place of liberty. Liberty means the government has no jurisdiction over the heart, soul, and mind of man. Why? Because we recognize that the relationship between God and the individual is between him and God. That, that gives great worth to that other individual and, and realize that's the relationship that matters. And, and it's not the place of me or the government to get in between him and God. 
And so, um, so uh, tolerance is a cheap imitation of love, and tolerance is a cheap imitation of liberty. And we should go higher and better and both uh, seek people the liberty of everyone, and we should love everyone. Yeah, exactly. And Mike, I heard you say a little bit earlier in the program that those of us who are Christians, or as Paul says, in Christ, that identity transcends all other differences among us, right? So that's a big piece of this as well, that no matter what our other differences are, when we are in Christ, that is the thing that matters. And yet that very identity of being in Christ also excludes the idea of treating people who are not in Christ poorly, because as you said, we are to love them. Did I get it right? You did. You did. Um, and and uh, my, my dog in the background amends you uh, <laughs> with, a, with a little bark. But uh, the, um, um, the, 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 the key point here is, is that um, I'm going to go from perhaps uh, uh, preaching to meddling. Um, I don't really care nearly as much whether the progressive left gets this right. I would like them to. But I care about about Christians getting this right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's so much of life that's true that uh, if if Christians would just do what they needed to do, our political situation would, would be a lot better. Our moral situation would be a lot better. Um, you know, all kinds of things would be better if Christians would just do what Christians are supposed to do. Our education system would be a lot better. Yeah. And and so. You know, so my concern is for my fellow Christians, and I do see this tendency to hate uh, creeping in here, the, the tribalism creeping in here. You know, they're going to be mean to us, so let's me be, you know, meaner back to them. They hit yeah. us, we're going to hit them twice. Um, and I, I fully understand. Uh, I have, you know, defended homeschoolers all of my life. You talk about people getting hit when you get arrested, when you get persecuted for how you educate your kids. I understand that. But the the way forward for us is not to, not to try to demonize them back or to marginalize them or hate them or, you know, uh, hate people that send their kids to the public schools. No, our, our, our principle is God gave the kids to you and you decide how you, you know, what you think uh, should be done. Now we, we can encourage them, tell them, you know, what we have done for us, but it's the uh, let's not let Christians get into the business of of saying if you're different from me, I have nothing to do with you. You have no worth. Calling people by names it just doesn't help. You know, I know that there's you know political leaders who do it, and you know. Um, you know, I've just had to, in some respects, just say, I'm just going to forget what they say and let's look at what they do. But I really wish they would say the right things too. Um, I, yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying, Mike. And I want to tell you, there was a moment several years ago that stunned me. And it was when Michelle Obama said, when they go low, we go high. And I thought, She's got it. Like, that's what we should be saying. That's what we should be doing. Yeah. Um, Now, if they would really do that, that would be great. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Right. Same. 
Like, was on a personal level. I don't know, but that's not the way her, you know, her yes. her, her party acts in general. Yes. But but that's the right statement. She yeah. she said it correct, and I fully agree with that's that's what Christians should be the one that that do that. Yes, absolutely. Now in this part of the book, Williams also addresses the importance of carefully evaluating our propaganda. And that's kind of what we're talking about for our side. But we need to carefully evaluate any propaganda that is associated with justice claims. And he points out here that a lot of those pushing issues today that they claim are issues of social justice engage in this revisionist history writing in order to support their claims. Maybe the most common way this comes up is when people talk about the history of slavery. So for instance, people can be quick to condemn Christians for having peacefully coexisted with slavery in the past, and they would be right to condemn that because slavery is evil. But a lot of people tend to forget that Christians were also at the forefront of abolishing slavery in Great Britain and in America, right? Have you seen that particular example of revisionist history and or others? And do you agree that's a problem today? Uh, indeed. Um, the 1619 Project is revisionist history of this fl flavor in uh, a way that divides the country and, and uh, demoralizes the country. The, uh, basically, they say because things weren't perfect on July 4th, 1776, America is an illegitimate country because it was racist and sexist and all these other things. Um, the, the truth is that on July 4th, 1776, we said all men are created equal. We're endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then we achieve these. Why do government exist? Is to protect these God-given rights, and then we do it through self-government. So we have equality, self-government, and and uh, uh, human rights that were there in the Declaration of, Pen of Independence. How many of those things were in place for anybody on July 4th, 1776? Yeah. The answer is none of them. Those were the aspirational goals that we were headed toward. And we shouldn't judge America about whether we are perfect on July 4th, 1776. We judge America by were those the right ideals and have we made good strides in, in achieving those ideals? And, if, and I would submit that our country has made great strides in achieving these ideals. It took us way too long, but we did abolish slavery. It took us way too long, but we did get rid of separate but equal. Um, it, it took us way too long, but we did do away with segregated schools and, and many of the things that were wrong. Jim Crow laws, all these things, they all went away. Now, do we, is it perfect today? No, but, but, but we, we, uh, it's the, we normally follow the rules of no discrimination on the basis of race. And when that is violated, we punish people readily. We don't hesitate to do so. And our legal system is set up. We've got the laws in place to do it, and we have the willingness to do it. Mm -hmm. And so the, the difference today on these issues is the, the 1619 Project, the social justice movements, wants to punish people whose distant ancestors did, some of their distant ancestors did things wrong. Some of their other distant ancestors were the cause of the doing things right. And to punish you because of your skin color is racism. 
to uh, say that you're permanently an oppressor because you're white is racism. To say you're permanently oppressed because you're black is racism. And racism is wrong. And we judge America by our ideals and by our progress toward those ideals. And on that score, this is a great country. Perfect country? No. Great country? Absolutely yes. Yeah. And Mike, didn't Martin Luther King Jr. just get it right when he talked about his dream of people being judged based on the content of their character and not their skin color? I just, I have such a hard time today understanding why anyone would think that it's useful to have skin color be, you know, determine who gets preference in university admissions or, you know, who's the oppressed and the oppressor today. You know, it, it's it's not only not helpful, it does great damage. And as you just said, it is racism and it incites racism. It keeps racism going. Yeah. Why does anyone think that's helpful? Uh, well, um they they think that because they they start their their chain of reasoning without God. Yeah. And when you when you leave God out God out of the equation, you get to wrong conclusions about a whole lot of stuff, including mm -hmm. this. And uh, they're not starting with uh, the the presupposition that God has created us, that God give us gives us rights, that God gives us dignity. When you don't start with that, your your rational thinking isn't very rational at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and so um, I, I think that's that's basically it. There's there's a uh, old book um, um, written in the 50s. Um, uh, I'm going to blank on it. Uh, it. It's written by a former communist, an American communist, um, that um, uh, you know tried to explain why people were attracted to communism. And, and he said, Basically, if you um, um, look at life without God, communism makes sense on, on the problems of war and poverty. Mm -hmm. But it is internally conflicted because men aren't made the way the communists say. And so it doesn't work out. They've got the wrong presupposition and they end up in the wrong place. Yeah. And, and, and um, that, that is, the, is the problem here today. When you reason without God, you end up with rejecting the rights of everyone. You know, there's a, a law professor at Georgetown, um, uh, Louis Michael uh, Seidman, um, wrote an op-ed about a week after the last case I won in the Supreme Court on free speech for pro-life pregnancy centers. And he basically said, I've given up on free speech for everybody because it's not advancing the progressive movement. He doesn't want free speech for all. He wants free speech for the progressive movement. And that's not free speech. Free speech is for everybody. Yeah. Um, and so um, when, we, when we lose the foundations, the, the fruit that, that comes from that chain of reasoning is all messed up. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. If you think of freedom of speech and other human rights as, you know, something that's a gift from the state or a means to achieving a certain goal that you have, instead of seeing it for what it is, which is a God-given inalienable right, then it makes sense that you'd be ready to shut it off if it's not, you know, getting you where you want to be. Now, I love what Williams does in the book. He writes a brief article entitled, Why Can't We All Hate Social Justice Bee Advocates? 
And here's his article. Because the Bible commands us to love our neighbors. The end. (laughs) So that seems very simplistic. But is it fair to say, Mike, that biblical Christianity is the answer to hatred and divisiveness in America today? And I think you're going to say yes, based on our earlier conversation. But if so, why do so many Christians seem hateful? I don't know. Uh, I'm just going to tell you a story instead of answering that question directly. Okay. I love your Um, stories. um, My vice in life is I play too much online internet bridge. Uh, The the average age of an internet bridge player is dead. Um, And and at 72 years old, I'm one of the young punks in this bridge group. Um, And uh, a few years ago, um, there was this guy whose screen name was Jeff Jeff. And uh, I'm uh, the director of this bridge club, which means almost nothing. But, but uh, um, And the reason I was chosen the director is because I've adopted a, a policy that I never, ever criticize anybody, including my partner. If they make a mistake, it's a very competitive place to play. But if they make a mistake, I just say, nice job, we'll do it next time. Now, at home... Where they can't hear me, I'm screaming. What are you doing, you idiot? But but you know what I type is you know always nice job. And so the little old ladies who who um, play there love me because I'm always positive. Well, Jeff Jeff was you know making fun of me and beating on me, and the little old ladies just took after him, and they 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 did not like it. Now in the process of all this, I was sending Jeff. Uh, side messages saying, look, I'm not offended. You know, please, you know, don't, don't, you know, I, I'm not, you know, they're taking it up, but I'm not offended. And in the process, somehow I figured out that Jeff was gay. Now, um, uh, and so Jeff and I became friends because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't. And and so uh, I had a case where I was arguing in Los Angeles. He's from West LA, which is the gay hub of the world, perhaps, or one of them. And, and so he asked me if I would go out to dinner with him before my, my case. And I said, sure. And we went out to dinner and we were laughing. We were having a good time. And he, he was bashing Republicans, you know, but Republicans this. And he said, I said, Jeff, surely you figured out by now that I'm a Republican. He says, yeah, I know, but you're not, you're not one of those kind of Republicans. Meaning you don't hate me. And that's true. I don't. He had no idea how deeply I was involved in things that he would think only come from people who hate. Um, you know, I, I, I helped write Virginia's constitutional definition of marriage yeah. um, um, and many, many, many other things. Um, but I don't hate Jeff. I wanted Jeff to know a Christian. And someday when he was down, he would know a Christian that actually befriended him and loved him as a, as a person. And that's what we need to do. We need yeah. to love the Jeff Jeffs of the world, even if we don't agree with what they're doing, even if we're taking political steps to, that they wouldn't approve of, doesn't matter. You still love Jeff. And Jeff did. He appreciated it. And we had a good time. Well, amen to that, Mike. I I think that sums it up well. And we're out of time. So that wonderful story is going to be the conclusion of today's program. Thanks for being with us today and filling in for Mark, Mike. Thank you very much. I also want to thank our sponsors at Blue Ridge Chimney Services, Blessings Christian Bookstore, 
Sunshine Ministries with Christian Radio, Wishing Well Florist and Travel Services, and our friends at New Beginnings Church and Garber's Church of the Brethren in Harrisonburg. Thanks everyone for listening. If you want to make a donation to help keep Crossroads on the air, you can do so by check to Crossroads at P.O. Box 881, Harrisonburg, Virginia 22803. I'm Rita Peters, inviting you to join us again next week for another edition of Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads podcast. To learn more about Convention of States, go to conventionofstates.com. 